This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where this is supposed to be the final week of the 2020 legislative session. It will not be, though. Senate Budget Chairman Rob Bradley says they'll need to go into overtime, if only for a few days. Um, my guess is we finish up on Monday or Tuesday next week. The budget talks are still a work in progress, but several major issues were settled over the weekend. Visit Florida will not be abolished, thanks in part to the coronavirus. We'll explain that later. Teachers and state workers will be getting a pay raise this year. Hundreds of millions of dollars in the state's affordable housing trust fund will actually be spent on affordable housing instead of being diverted to other projects. House and Senate leaders have also agreed to the governor's request for another $25 million to help the state fight the coronavirus. And the House has backed off its original position to eliminate 500 positions at the State Department of Health. But there are plenty of differences still to be worked out, including criminal justice and the environment. We'll also have the latest stats on coronavirus in Florida, your daily calendar of political events, and the latest on Florida Man. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Monday, March 9th. House and Senate leaders in Tallahassee are making progress on the new budget. For starters, they've agreed not to abolish the state's tourism marketing agency. Visit Florida was due to expire at the end of June, but it will get a one-year extension and a budget of $50 million. That's a win for Senate President Bill Galvano, who supports Visit Florida and believes it will be able to reduce the amount of damage done by the coronavirus to Florida's tourism trade. I think that's a valid, valid concern. I think, you know, just if you look at what's happening already, whether or not people are deciding, which they are, you also have travel bans that are, are taking place. And that, that means we need to continue to put emphasis on our, our reserves. And, and that's uh, uh, why I think when we spoke the last time I said it, it also makes another case for having a messaging entity like Visit Florida. House Speaker Jose Oliva would rather get rid of Visit Florida because he's philosophically opposed to the idea of using tax money to promote the private sector. But as soon as the coronavirus became a threat to the tourism sector, he knew the battle was lost. Visit Florida deserves credit for marketing, at least inside the legislature. Uh, What they do outside uh, will remain in doubt, in my view, forever. But they've certainly convinced the legislature of their importance. Add to it the advent of coronavirus and the issues that the cruise ship companies are having and possibly our theme parks. And there is no doubt that an already difficult argument about an agency that has no real power over any of that will once again convince us that but for them, uh, tourists would be leaving. I think what we will see is that no amount of Visit Florida money can stop people from not taking a cruise if they decide not to take a cruise. No amount of that money can make people go to a theme park. No amount of that money can stop some of the street festivals that have already been canceled. So, but again, I, you know, I, I will always hold that opinion, uh, but you can't always hold the position. I suspect legislation will pass and it will once again survive. Lawmakers have agreed on a 3% across-the-board pay raise for state workers, along with a big boost for teacher pay. They're setting aside $500 million bucks for teachers, but haven't figured out how that will split out yet. Corrections officers will also get an increase on top of that 3% raise, and the state will start a pilot program to get rid of 12-hour shifts in some of the prisons. The corrections secretary says those long shifts are a big reason for the turnover and the low morale of their officers. At this point, it looks like the state budget will be somewhere in the neighborhood of $92 billion, and they'll have to extend the session by a few days to get it done, but that's just fine with Speaker Oliva. This is the sixth year, I think, that you guys kind of missed your deadline. Is the session not long enough? No, no, it's plenty long, believe (laughs) me. No, uh, I I really do think it it has a a lot to do with, in the past few sessions, we've dealt with a lot of policy. 
Uh, not that we didn't deal with policy in years before, but if you really look at the last few sessions, they've been very policy heavy. Uh, one particular session where we had an issue, it was the issue of Medicaid expansion, that was an explosive issue between the chambers. But I do think that what's causing the delay is getting into an agreement when you're dealing with a lot of policy, it takes time. It's a lot of people on either side that have to have to kind of come to a place where they can agree with that. So I think that's what's doing it. Uh, obviously, we'd like to finish on time, but you know, if we can get a budget signed uh, by Monday or Tuesday, it's it's a it's a day or two. The session is supposed to end by midnight Friday, but these extensions are business as usual in the state capitol. There could also be a special session in the works on gambling. Senate President Galvano says they're trying to come up with a new deal for the Seminole Tribe so the state can get a share of all that casino cash. The latest on, on gaming, I think the speaker and I are, are comfortable as well as with the governor that, that you know there are certain parameters that we could bring forward to the uh, Seminole Tribe. I've had conversations with uh, uh, the tribe not not in bonk not that's there i go with my legalese uh not not in having a, a big group up here but talking with uh, uh some of their representatives and internal and external and and uh you know i feel like we can make make progress and in, in general there are things that that are of interest to to them uh like the games they don't have at now this massive casino in south florida when i don't know if any of you've seen it the giant guitar and you know, and it's missing, missing uh, craps and roulette, and there may be some uh, other facilities on their existing property. And I've heard something about Fort Pierce that's not in the mix. And, and we'll see where we go from there. On our side, we want to see a, a revenue share, and we want to be able to get past the illegal quagmire that we were put into with uh, uh, the, the games and the lawsuit and the settlement. Galvano says they're getting close, but there is no way to seal a deal during the final week of the session, so it would take a special session later this year. Speaker Oliva says it could happen. I would say that there's a possibility there, certainly. We, we won't be able to get it done in the next week, So, but there's a real interest in getting it done. A lot of good conversations have been had, so it's possible we could come back. Officials at New College of Florida and Florida Polytechnic University can breathe a sigh of relief. They are not going to be taken over by the University of Florida, at least not yet. The House proposed the merger, saying the state could save millions on admin expenses by turning New College and Florida Poly into branch campuses of UF. But the Senate did not like the idea, and Senate President Bill Galvano issued a statement Saturday saying, quote, a merger at this point would be premature, and so I decided to not allow it to move forward. The issue may be done for now, but House Speaker Jose Oliva says it's not going away. He compares this to the long struggle for reform in the health care industry. I think the, the facts of it insist on a review of that idea year after year. You know, you don't always get the first thing done. I mean, I've, I've been pursuing health care reform here for seven years. A lot of it is getting done now, but, you know, that's one of those ideas whose time is going to come. Uh, it's unfortunate that it's not today, but that, that the it's not going in a direction. It's not showing any sort of real movement. So, you know, if the only thing that we were able to do is bring to light that that needs to be reviewed year over year, then we had a small success. The E-Verify bill is still up in the air. The governor wants a new law requiring employers to check the immigration status of all their new hires using the Homeland Security database. The House and Senate have different versions of the bill, and Senate President Galvano says they are working on a compromise. They're having uh, some discussions still on the on the House side, and we want to work it through. We want to get something something done, and you know I I feel like we've done some good work to get it here to special order, and we still have 
have uh, time. Could the Senate live with the House version? I mean, there are differences there, obviously. Yeah, the there, there are differences there. I would just say this, that I think President Lee's done a good job in working on that bill. He's, he's had many conversations. He's had uh, discussions with the plaza level. And so, you know, at this point, I, I'm comfortable with our bill. But we want to see, see uh, something, if we want to see something be successful, which we do, it's these negotiations continue. Speaker Oliva says there's a lot of support for the Senate version of the bill that's being moved through the process by former Senate President Tom Lee. But he is concerned about a provision that would give the DeSantis administration the power to randomly audit private businesses to ensure they are not hiring undocumented workers. I think it's it's very much in line with the House proposal. Uh, some concerns remain, in particular uh, empowering executive agencies to have police powers and do random checks. I mean, this, that, that is something that is of tremendous concern. It concerns me as, as, as a free marketer, as someone that believes that people should have their businesses and as long as they're operating legally should be allowed to, that uh, we're giving agencies the random ability to show up and do audits. There's something about that that doesn't say America to me. These are things that we don't typically, uh, as conservatives, we don't typically include in things. Uh, I, I think, and I, I have to say, uh, you know, President Lee has been fantastic. Uh, you know, I've reached out to him personally, and uh, I've let him know we need some help on this issue. We want to be able to, we want to be able to uh, provide what I think the governor is looking for in essence. Uh, but I think that the governor needs to understand that it is, it is the work of President Lee and the the work of uh, of uh, uh, Court Bird that are going to bring something together. I think that he has to let us do our work. I think that we have we have a good product. I think we're working very well with, uh, with former President Lee. We're very happy with what he's done. We're very happy the way we've been able to collaborate. And we think we will have a good product in the end. The Senate could take up its E-Verify bill during today's floor session. Bad news for the Florida cruise industry. The U.S. State Department is now warning Americans to avoid cruise ships for the duration of the coronavirus outbreak. South Florida is home to two of the three busiest ports in the U.S. Nearly six million passengers set sail from Port Miami in the past year alone, with more than 1,200 cruise ships docked there. The cruise line industry accounts for more than 300,000 jobs in South Florida. A cruise ship that was supposed to dock at Port Everglades Sunday morning has been ordered to stay off the coast for now because two of the crew members of the Regal Princess may have been exposed to the coronavirus. They had worked on another cruise ship, the Grand Princess, which has had several confirmed cases of coronavirus. The Grand Princess is now floating off the coast of California because 21 people, including 19 crew members, have tested positive for the illness. The Regal Princess has been told to stay out of port until test results for those two crew members are finished. As of Sunday, Florida health officials say they've confirmed 17 cases of COVID-19, including two fatalities. 280 people are now being monitored by the state, and they're still waiting on test results on more than 100 Floridians. Your calendar of events starts at 9 this morning. That's when Representative Diane Hart is holding a news conference on the fourth floor of the state capitol to discuss medical care provided to prison inmates. The Senate will hold a floor session at 10. They'll take up numerous issues, including the school safety bill and a bill requiring employers to use the E-Verify system. The House will hold a floor session beginning at 10.30 and will take up a variety of issues, including a plan to expand school voucher programs. There's also a bill to eliminate or reduce regulations on a variety of professions. At 9.30, Florida Congresspersons Debbie Wasserman Schultz and Ted Deutsch are holding a roundtable discussion about the coronavirus. That's at Nova Southeast University in Davie. And Congressman Charlie Crist will be at Childs Park YMCA in St. Pete this morning at 10 to hold a discussion about efforts to restore the voting rights of felons who have completed their sentences.
We haven't heard much from Florida man over the past few days, but you'll be glad to know Florida woman is picking up the slack. Deputies say a Florida woman was caught inside a Walmart making a nail bomb with ingredients that she took off the shelves. The arrest report for 37-year-old Emily Stollard says she filled a mason jar with fuel, denatured alcohol, and nails, and then tried to light it using a shoelace as a wick. She was stopped by an off-duty Fish and Wildlife Conservation officer and a Walmart security guard. Stollard's facing several charges, including attempted arson, firebombing, contributing to the delinquency of a minor, child abuse, and battery of an officer. And a Florida woman is accused of submitting false registration info that switched the party affiliations of voters without their knowledge. 63-year-old Cheryl Hall is charged with 10 felony counts of submission of false voter registration information. Lake County officials identified 119 false voter registration applications. They flagged the forms because they included incorrect information, including birth dates, social security numbers, or driver's license numbers. Some of the forms also changed the registration of Democrats to Republican. Hall was a registered Republican herself. Maybe she just wanted more company. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. 